Same story, different storyteller. Last week, John wrote that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Light overcame darkness. But Matthew starts the story a different way. The family genealogy wasn't special. It was full of Gentiles and lots of ancestors that had questionable reputations. Even his birth came to be by an unheard of divine intervention. But his birth, the very presence of God on earth, brought so great a risk that even King Herod decreed that all baby boys in the area should be killed, just in case. So baby Jesus' life began on the run, escaping to Egypt, refugees far from home. They hid there until Herod dies, and only then can they return home to Nazareth. And Jesus grew and grew. A wild man began to prophesy his coming, wearing camel hair and eating locust and honey. He was preparing the way in the hearts of those who would follow Jesus. So when Jesus approached him to be baptized, he refused. But Jesus insisted. And just as each event becomes a little more odd in these first three chapters, as Jesus is baptized, a dove comes down, and a voice from heaven declares that, yes, indeed, this is God's beloved Son. So Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to the desert, where for 40 days and nights the devil tempts him with food, with power, with fame. But Jesus refuses to test God or to worship the evil one. And after 40 days, the angels attend to him and relieve him of the temptation. And this brings us to our scripture today, where Jesus begins his ministry to the world. So the word of the Lord from Matthew 4, 12 to 23. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea and the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and brother of John, and his brother John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom 
and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. So like last week's reading from John, this week's reading from Matthew focuses on Jesus calling the first disciples. And there's a couple things that I want to point out from today's reading. So first, we start with this reference back to Isaiah 9, which was just read a few minutes ago in our service together. This reading from Isaiah is from a king's coronation. It refers to Assyria's military campaigns against Israel and Judah way back in the 8th century BCE. This reading celebrates the beginning of a new king's rule and how under this new king, the people immediately are restored from a season of oppression to a new day of liberation. Darkness to light. They have sat in darkness and sat in the shadow of death, but now the light has dawned and they have seen it. The light can't be missed. I think Matthew chooses to use this scripture and link it to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Matthew is effectively declaring that God is at work again in a similar way with Jesus as a new king and his ministry as the inauguration of a new reign, the reign of heaven, as Jesus puts it just a few verses later. It's as if Matthew is saying, look, just as in these days long ago, a new reign is beginning, a new liberation from oppression, The world has sat in darkness, and now the dawn is breaking. It is in this context that we have the calling of the first four disciples in Matthew. And this leads me to ask, what do we do with this story of the disciples? Barbara Brown Taylor, who's one of my favorite preachers, has famously called this episode the miracle on the beach. Because as far as we know, these fishermen have never met Jesus, yet after hearing just a couple words from him, they immediately leave everything behind. Their nets, their family, their friends, their livelihood, and follow him. So when you read it this way, it's a story about the transformative power of God's call and its capacity to turn us around in unexpected, surprising ways. But another way to read the passage is to say, wait a minute, no one just drops their nets and walks away from everything they know without being ready to do so, without some kind of pre-existing dissatisfaction or a longing for a different kind of life. This leads me to wonder what made these fishermen so ready and willing to hear Jesus' invitation, drop everything and go. But here we are. Light has come into the world, as Matthew tells us, and Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And remarkably, these fishermen do. They drop their nets and off they go. Follow me. Jesus says, and this is a command that comes over and over again in scripture. God called Abraham and Sarah to leave their home their family, their identity, and journey to an unfamiliar land. God called Rahab to shelter undercover spies sent to Jericho. God called Samuel three times as a young boy to be God's servant, who later would anoint Israel's first king. 
God called prophets like Isaiah to summon the people of Israel to open their eyes and see God in their midst. God called Mary to give birth to Jesus, God in flesh. And God called fishermen from their nets to follow him. Follow me, Jesus says. The story goes that Simon, Peter, and Andrew are casting their nets. That is, they're working. And James and John are mending their nets. Again, they're also working. Jesus goes to ordinary, working-class people to begin his ministry. Why didn't Jesus go into Jerusalem and call a group of rabbinic students to follow him? After all, they knew the scriptures as well as Jesus did. But instead, Jesus goes to four fishermen. They don't know much about God, but they're willing to learn what Jesus has to teach. When Jesus speaks, they're willing to listen. When he heals the sick, they're willing to watch. And when he walks throughout Galilee, they follow along behind. I love that the very first followers that Jesus called were fishermen, ordinary blue-collared workers, because this cuts right into our wondering of who is called by God. It's not just those who have chosen to become ministers or chaplains or church elders. After all, none of them had a seminary education or had been ordained. They weren't even serving as community leaders or elders. Even after they answer Jesus' call, they remain ordinary. They don't then get sent off to learn more or be become more polished or impressive. They were ordinary, everyday people going about their ordinary, everyday lives. They were people who worked with hands covered in calluses from pulling in nets weighing hundreds of pounds, their faces weathered by wind and sea, and their clothes smelled fishy and may have been covered in fish guts. They probably said things they shouldn't. And yet, this is Jesus's target audience. So when Jesus invites Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow me, he's not saying, I wonder if you would consider the possibility of tagging along when you have the time and it's not too inconvenient. No, to follow is to accompany, to learn from, to respond to, be loyal to, to abide in. They were called to follow Jesus. Calling is not something we talk about a lot. I don't know that I heard about it at all until I started seminary or in ministry circles. But the Bible makes it clear that God has called us, has called us to do whatever God has in mind, calls us to set aside many things and follow God. Frederick Buchner said that the place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger, hunger meet. This makes each of our callings unique based on the skills and gifts and passions that we have, balanced with the needs of the world. Buchner goes on to say that the kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that A, you need most to do, and B, that the world needs most to have done. 
The disciples were working as fishermen, but when they received the call, they enthusiastically followed. And Jesus gave them a new vocation, to fish for people. He took the skills they presumably already had, fishing, and used their abilities, learned and innate, to help them learn how to be disciples. God nurtures in us the talents, gifts, and interests that we have and helps us find ways to use them to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Jesus piqued their interests, speaking to something that was close to their hearts and perhaps at the root of who they were. He nurtured and kindled a part of them that became so inspired that they moved forward and joined him. I think Jesus uses the fishing image because fishing is something that these men knew. Come follow me and you'll do the same thing that you've been doing for generations, fishing, except now you're fishing for people. He speaks to them in a language they understand and gives them a job that they can do. They know how to fish. Jesus comes to these men where they are, as they are, as an expression of God's way of meeting all of us. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. A modern translation of this calling could be, you're a sixth grade teacher. Follow me and I'll make you a teacher of all. Or you're a mother. Follow me and you'll be a parent of God's people. You are a manager. Follow me and empower all of my disciples. You are a nurse. Follow me and you'll take part in shalom and healing of the entire world. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to do it in the unique particulars of our lives, communities, cultures, families, and vocations. We don't get to follow Jesus around in a vacuum. We have to trust that God prizes our intellects, our memories, our backgrounds and educations, our skills, and that he will multiply, shape, and bring to fruition everything that we offer up to him in faith from the daily stuff of our lives. Jesus will make us. He will change and mold and form us into the people that God has called us to be. So it's not really a matter of dropping our lives in order to follow. It's actually the opposite. It's a matter of claiming our lives in order to give Christ nothing left than our full, real selves. But that act of following can be difficult. Because yes, we've seen the light. But sometimes we're still sitting in the dark. As disciples of Jesus, we expectantly expectantly wait in the dark, holding space to prepare for God who will arrive. Sometimes our job is just to stand there and be aware of God's presence in the room. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when you see injustice, for my kingdom is a kingdom of justice and equality. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when you see someone lonely or needing a place to belong. Offer support or a listening ear, for we're all the beloved children of God. 
follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when conversation brims with racism or sexism and speak out for what is right. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when you see those who are hungry or without shelter and respond in action. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when the world around you is grieving. Share the hope of the coming light that will cut through all darkness. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me when you see those who are oppressed and without voice. Work for real changes in the systems that have failed, for they are also my children. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me as God's calls are all around us. The disciples follow because having been met by Jesus, having been approached and invited by him just as they are in that moment, they want more of Jesus. You and I, we know what lies ahead for them. We know that they do not remain the same. Because Jesus may come to us as we are, but that doesn't mean that he leaves us that way. And the truth is, we're always changing anyway. Following Jesus does not happen in the abstract, but in context, circumstances, and the relationships of our lives. Our relationship with Jesus is grounded in experience in the people and events of our lives and world. As life experiences happen, there is nothing to do but grow and change. But what we see, though, is that Jesus offers a particular kind of change. As Peter and Andrew and James and John followed Jesus, they were formed as Jesus taught the Beatitudes, healed the sick, told parables, and fed 5,000 people in a surprise picnic. They were changed when Peter complained that they had left everything behind and James and John argued with the others for the best seat at the table. And this change was modeled by death and resurrection and Jesus' own crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension and then the coming of the Holy Spirit into their lives. This change offers you and I from light from the complete darkness. It offers the promise that the life of discipleship is always a life that is a part of joining God in God's sacred work. So when we are in darkness, may we continue to hold space for when God arrives. May we offer hope to those who sit with us in the dark. And when the light does burst in, because it will, may we be overcome by that light. Follow me, Jesus says, may we immediately follow.